Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Chamat Karsandu from Toronto in Canada. Two Brits who have been covering MMA for a long time. And uh, we used to cover it together here in the UK. We're kind of divided by that huge Atlantic Ocean these days. But we are still hooking up every week via the wonders of the internet to talk about this incredible, crazy, mad sport of mixed martial arts. And the train just keeps on rolling. The UFC are churning out events. Bellator are churning out events. One Championship are creeping their way back onto the scene as well. And Cage Warriors are coming back in a month's time. Things are good. Sandu, how was your weekend? Busy. Um, obviously, the, the UFC card was there. I was on shift for BT Sport for that fight night card. But preceding that, I covered SmackDown. This was SummerSlam weekend. Actually, while I was covering UFC fight night, uh, Munoz versus Edgar, I was at the same time also covering the WWE NXT TakeOver show. So I had like multiple screens going, um, it's a bit of a juggling act, but that was all good fun. And then, and then yeah, yesterday, um, on Sunday, I covered SummerSlam, which was quite nice actually, because it's funny, a year ago, I attended SummerSlam because it was here in Toronto. And uh, a year later, I'm like working SummerSlam. So so that was a kind of nice kind of full circle situation there um and yeah tonight i'm doing monday night raw it's, it's just i feel like it's just things are now in full swing uh with sport in general which means business has picked up which means you know I'm, I'm starting to get as busy if not busier than pre-covid times so it's, it's all good yeah and like I'm, I'm so out of the loop when it comes to pro wrestling there aren't enough hours in the day for me to stay up to speed with it all these days but what I could make out, well, I've got two questions for you. The first one is, is NXT TakeOver still better than the main roster product? Because it always seemed to be whenever I watched it. And the second question, what's the bigger takeaway from SummerSlam? Is it the return of Roman Reigns or is it Roman Reigns' new teeth? This is what I want to know. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Well, first, to answer your first question, I think for the most part, I think most fans prefer the NXT product as it stands right now versus the, the, the main roster or like the, the, the raw SmackDown uh, shows only because it's it's NXT in general is a tighter show. It's a tighter product. The pacing is really good. Having said that though, SummerSlam's pacing was fantastic. It was just a little over three hours, um, which is fantastic. And they've uh, had a residency in the Amway Center and they, they created what's called what they've called the WWE Thunderdome. And so you've, and it kind of felt for the first time since uh, COVID uh, hit and they've been running these events in the Performance Center by moving to an actual proper arena where they've got more space, I guess, uh, to to showcase the bells and whistles and they've got fans on these screens. It just felt like a bigger deal. Um, and it's great to have fans there and the way they kind of pumped in the audio, it kind of just made for some atmosphere, which was nice. So, but yeah, I think on the whole, I think NXT, you know, the, the show itself, um, and then the the special takeovers, they are still, I guess, the, the the best offering for me anyway when it comes to the WWE. That being said, I thought SummerSlam in general was fantastic, really good show. Um, and then it, when it when it comes to the biggest takeaway, I couldn't give a monkey's about his teeth to be honest with you. Uh, but I think Roman Reigns coming back, that's huge, that's massive. He's one of their biggest stars. And he hasn't really performed since COVID hit. He's kind of just spent time with his family, kind of 
went into a bit of self-isolation. He looks in, in incredible shape. He looks absolutely jacked. And the WWE need him and they've got him back. And so it's going to be interesting to see how he kind of fits into the plans, what the angle is, who he's going to feud with and all the rest of it. So yeah, good times for, for WWE fans. Because he passed all his, his health scare and everything because I know uh, he had to take time out because of that. And then he ca- I think he came back briefly, didn't he? After that. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure because I don't really follow pro wrestling or the WWE that closely when it comes to the journalism, the journalist, the reporting side. I'm just kind of like, right, I've got my shift tonight. I know what I'm doing uh, when it comes to social media. Um, I'm so baked into our world of of mixed martial arts and the UFC and all the rest of it that for me to then kind of submerse submerse myself into the minutia of of details like that into a whole other world, uh, I'd want to kill myself, to be honest with you. Um, But it's it's a a valid question. makes all the sense in the world. And I guess at some point this week, those details will emerge because obviously he, you know, has battled leukemia. That's well documented. And that's specifically why he went into self-isolation and didn't join the rest of the guys and girls uh, at the Performance Center in Florida because he was, you know, obviously got that underlying condition and didn't want to contract COVID-19. Who would want to in that situation, right? Or even risk it. Um, But yeah, I mean, he looks in great shape. Um, He looks healthier than I've ever seen him, to be honest with you. I think he's in the best shape of his life. So clearly, uh, during this period of self-isolation, the man's been working out and uh and yeah like i said i think this week um i think he'll probably make his smackdown appearance um because he kind of ended the show you know by taking out the fiend and braun Strowman, and they are smackdown performers so it looks like that's going to be his home for the foreseeable future cool and one more wrestling related question to transition us back into the mma world What's going on with Matt Riddle? How's he? How's he getting on? Is he still on the books at WWE? Is he? Has he progressed from the NXT roster onto the full roster yet? What's the deal with him? Yeah, he's having a blinding year, if I'm being honest. So he's been uh, promoted from NXT to SmackDown. So he is officially a, a main roster performer now, and he, he's kind of like in that mid card position where he's kind of just. Having matches on SmackDown, his matches are of very high quality. He's a great in-ring performer. And he's when, when you go from NXT to Raw SmackDown, there's just more exposure. There's more promotion and marketing behind you. And so he hasn't really had kind of the feud or the angle or a program to work with someone over a, uh, a period of you know months building up to something at a, at a big event yet. But I'm sure that's going to come sooner or later. He's just a fantastic talent. And to see someone come from, you know, the, the MMA world and transition so seamlessly into the world of pro wrestling, but not just do that, but then go and go to the, the highest level. Like how many how many athletes can say they have a fought in the UFC where that's the top of the food chain when it comes to MMA and then perform for the WWE which is again the absolute top of the food chain when it comes to uh, pro wrestling uh, only a handful you're looking at Brock Lesnar's your Ronda Rousey's um, and maybe a, a, you know, a couple others uh, Bobby Lashley's another one right but that list is short and distinguished and Matt Riddle's amongst that list and amongst that group yeah, and he's he worked his way up as well, didn't he? He didn't he didn't get in because of his name value. He worked and did the regional scene and the rest of it. I watched him, I think it was Will Ospreay. He he did a match with Will Ospreay for Progress Wrestling at um oh crack the Electric Ballroom in Camden. And uh absolutely insane. He wrestled in bare feet 
and uh, absolutely one of the most insane matches I've ever seen. It was only like a ten minute match, but uh, it was brilliant. It was they they were doing some sort of tournament, and uh, yeah, you could see from that, and I think it might have been his first or second appearance for Progress, and you could see then like if he keeps progressing like that, he's going to be a star in pro wrestling, and it looks like he's going to be it. So uh, all props to Matt Riddle, uh, but. To move on from a, a, a fighter who's moved into pro wrestling, let's get on to the uh, the topic at hand. We're we're in the thick of it, as I say. UFC Fight Night uh, on Saturday night. UFC Vegas Seven was the hashtag for that uh, for that event. Frankie the Answer Edgar, former UFC lightweight champion, that's one hundred and fifty five pounds, has worked his way down. He had to go up a featherweight, didn't go too well for him. He's moved down again. To bantamweight, and he took on the very dangerous Pedro Munoz uh, in the main event on Saturday night. He got the split decision win. There is a lot of, I don't know if controversy is the word, but there's a lot of debate over whether he won that fight or not. It was a very close fight. I've spoken to colleagues of mine who watched it live, and at the time, who gave it to to Pedro Munoz three to two, um, but it was it was a close fight. But Frankie Edgar stepped down into that bantamweight division, Sandu. And he, he hung in there and, and looked pretty decent against a decent contender in that bantamweight class. First off, do you th- Pedro Munoz today has actually gone on social media. He's not a trash talker at all, Pedro. But he's gone on social media and said, this isn't what I normally do, but I've got to speak up here. That was trash judging, basically. I want a rematch. Given what happened in that main event, is that the logical next step? Do we need to see that fight again? Or do you think Edgar was a, a clear winner in your eyes? I just don't think at 38 years of age, Frankie Edgar's going to give him a, a, a rematch. I think he's looking ahead. He knows that there's, there's there's fewer years ahead of him than there are behind him, you know, uh, and he's trying to make a run for that title. And it does him no favours. The, the three most important people that score the fight gave him the nod. So for him, he's got the win and, you know, he's a name, he's a former champion, he's in a new weight class, he just beat a highly ranked opponent. So for him, he's thinking, wow, maybe, maybe one more win against a highly ranked opponent or a big name, like say a Dominic Cruz, and then all of a sudden, he could be pushing for a title shot, just given, again, his name value and what the UFC have done in the past um, with that, with those lower weight classes at, at 125 or 135. Let's start at the beginning, though. First of all, fantastic fight. Just one of one of the best fights of the year. It was just back and forth. Razor close. Every single round was close. It was highly competitive. My, some, one of my biggest takeaways was Frank Yeager can still compete at the very highest level. And I think dropping down to 135 at this stage of his career means he perhaps isn't going to take the punishment and isn't going to be on the receiving end of as much power behind punches versus what he was perhaps having to deal with at 145 and 155, right? And so given his footwork, his speed, his technical ability, he's obviously going to be one of the bigger boys in that weight class as well. So he can really utilize his grappling and his wrestling and and takedown ability and all the rest of it. So first of all, biggest takeaway, Frankie Edgar at 135, it's a fit. It's a thumbs up. He can compete and he can compete at a very high level. Number two, like I said, fantastic uh, fight, great performance from both guys. Uh, just, uh, just, just, just a, a great 
fight to cap off what was a great event. You know, that was a solid five rounds of high-level elite mixed martial arts on display, and that's what, what that's what we want, especially out of these main events. Finally, the scorecards. Right. So I scored it for Pedro Munoz. Right. I gave him rounds one, three, and four. I gave Edgar rounds two and rounds five. Now I say that, and I'm not saying it was a robbery by any means. I don't think it was a robbery. I just feel as though anyone could have scored it one way or another, just given what you were kind of taking into consideration. There was so much action going on in every single round. And when I saw kind of the media scorecards, the vast majority were in favour of Pedro Munoz. There were a few who actually, I think, even scored it 49-46 for Pedro Munoz, which again, if every single round is razor close, you can definitely kind of get those scorecards. So absolutely no... um, no pushback on that either and then there were a couple that gave it to to Frankie Edgar but like I said it doesn't matter whether it doesn't matter how the fans score it or or how media members score it it depends on how the judges score it right and I I have no problem with a Frankie Edgar scorecard that's that's kind of like my my biggest kind of uh, feedback on that even though I scored it for Pedro Munoz I have uh, no problem if you scored it for Frankie Edgar and so for him massive massive win he needed that he needed that badly right he just announced himself to a brand new weight class coming off losses so for frankie edgar he is back and he is back in a big way yeah and looking at his next fight if we're not going to do the rematch right if we if we take the view that the rematch isn't going to happen looking at the division it's really tough i mean Marlon Marais has been booked to face Corey Sanhagen. So that's number one versus number four. So they're out of the picture. Cody Garbrandt is moving down to flyweight to challenge Davison Figueredo. So he's out of the picture. He's number three. Aljamain Sterling, if there's any justice in the world, should be fighting Peter Yan for the belt next. So if all is well, he's off the table. So there's no one ranked above Pedro Munoz for Frankie Edgar to fight. So if we're not looking at Munoz, who are we looking at? For me, there are two names that absolutely leap off the page. Dominic Cruz, from a stylistic point of view and from an interest point of view, I think would be an outstanding fight to watch. From a a rankings point of view, if you take the view that normally Frank Yeager comes in, he beats Pedro Munoz, he'll come into those rankings in or around that number five spot, you would assume, because that's the guy who he's just beat, right? Munoz is ranked number five as of right now. Dominic Cruz is ranked 10. So that's a fair, you know, you're fighting a fair way down the list, but you are, it is a fight with some sort of name value, some cachet. The other fight that that jumps out to me is the man currently occupying number six in the UFC bantamweight rankings. And that's a certain Jose Aldo. That'll be a rematch of their fight at UFC 200. Frankie Edgar fought Jose Aldo way back at UFC 200. Uh, I was there for that fight, the weird yellow canvas inside the T-Mobile arena for the very first time. And uh, that fight was at 145 pounds. So we'd we'd be in a position where these two legends of the sport, former lightweight champion Frankie Edgar, former featherweight champion Jose Aldo, fighting at bantamweight in the, uh, the latter stages of their career. I'm wondering whether that might be the fight the UFC looks to make next. It's a fight that will keep interesting Aldo it'll 
give Edgar the opportunity to get another win, but stay in and around that top five, top six area. Um, so looking at it, I like the Cruz fight better stylistically, but looking at the way the rankings are currently set, I think the UFC might go for the Aldo fight. What do you reckon? Well, first of all, you're bang on the money there, Simon. Those are the two fights that jump off the page. And I think those are the two fights Frankie Edgar should be uh, interested in purely because, A, name value. B, when it comes to Jose Aldo, he just fought for the title, right? So your kind of argument could be, hey, I just fought, and if he wins, he just beat the late, you know, the, the, the most you know, current title challenger, right? So that kind of, you know, gives him a good argument and a good case to perhaps then leapfrog everybody else and get a title shot against Peter Yan, whoever the champion may be down the road uh, at, at that moment. But then on the flip side, if he fights Dominic Cruz, well, then you've just literally fought arguably the, the greatest bantamweight of all time. Uh, a win over Dominic Cruz is nothing to sniff at. And yeah, like you said, Simon, stylistically, that'd be fantastic. Just it will be pleasing on the eye, the footwork, the movement, the distance management, um, especially if they were to fight in the apex in that kind of closed quarters um, uh, cage. That'd be great. Uh, but yeah, I think that's where the UFC should be kind of leaning towards as well, is to put Frankie in there with, with a name, former champion. And, and for Dominic Cruz, by the way, I don't know what his plans are right now. I don't know if he's still thinking, you know what, a win or two and I can kind of sneak in another title shot or... If he's thinking, hey, I want to call time in my career. I want to try and go out on a high note. If I'm Dominic Cruz, A, a Frankie Edgar fight would be great because I'm fighting a former champion in, 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 a, in a, a, a weight class above where he normally competes in. And then B, if he was to, if he was to beat him, that's a great way to, to leave the sport. You know, a win over Frankie Edgar, bow, that's it. Happy days. Um, so it just depends on, you know, what his current motivations are and whether he still wants to to, to make a run at it. But yeah, those are the two fights to, to make. I, I'm like you, I'll slightly lean towards a Dominic Cruz fight just because of the uh, how, how they would match up stylistically, but I wouldn't be uh, opposed to a Jose Aldo fight. And the thing with Jose Aldo, like you mentioned, it's a rematch. We know that the UFC love to make rematches because there's an inbuilt storyline there and archived footage for them to, to, to lean on to help promote the fight as well. So either works for me. Yeah, and you know the thing you said about how Cruz is looking at his career right now, when these new rankings eventually come out, I know <clears throat> personally I don't place an enormous amount of stock in the legitimacy of the rankings, but when it comes to matchmaking, the UFC do lean on them. So we sort of bear that all in mind. Given that Edgar beat the number five guy, controversy or not, the natural thing would be that he'll slot in around number five, maybe number six. Um, for Dominic Cruz, who's currently ranked at 10, if he is still looking to leapfrog his way back to the top, that's a guy who's sort of sort of halfway towards his his goal, right? So if he if he faces a guy at number five and beats him, all of a sudden he's right in the thick of it. But um, the top of that bantamweight division is so stacked right now. I mean, why Aljamain Sterling hasn't been booked to face Peter Yan yet? That's one of the great unsolved mysteries of the UFC. I don't get that. That needs to happen. Um, he deserves his title shot. He's deserved it for a while. He should have had it before Jose Aldo got his. Give the man his shot at the belt. He should be next. We talked Marlon Moraes. He should have had a shot before Jose Aldo. He beat Jose Aldo um, in Vegas, but they moved Aldo on instead of him. He's facing Corey Sanhagen. He wins that fight. He's right in there. Cody Garbrandt, if he wins the flyweight belt, 
who's not going to be interested in a champion versus champion fight. So he's still very much in the mix as well. So I think there's a lot of business to be settled before the likes of Dominic Cruz, Frankie Edgar can consider themselves within a fight of a belt. I think they're going to have to win probably at least two. But what it does mean is uh, business is booming at £135. The bantamweight division is absolutely superb right now. It's probably the best division in the UFC right now. I love it. So that was the main event. Looking down the rest of the fight card, Sandu, it was one of those cards where you've got the name value in the main event. And we had COVID obviously hit the co-main. We were going to have uh, Alonzo Menafield versus Ovin St. Prue, which was a huge fight for Menafield. If he could have got past OSP, all of a sudden the UFC have got themselves a new light heavyweight threat. Um, but that fight got ruled out because OSP uh, contracted coronavirus. Um, also tested positive for coronavirus. They moved him off the card. What we had was a card full of prospect names, I'd like, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd call them, given the chance to shine. And uh, we had a host of performances on that main card where fighters stepped in there and went for the jugular and got really eye-catching stoppage victories. I mean, Mike Rodriguez against Marcin Pragnow in the, in, in the co-main event. Mike Rodriguez is not a household name at £205. Huge win for him. How did you rate that performance? Because uh, Pragnow was in decent form heading in himself. Yeah, it was one of those comeback performances, wasn't it? We had a couple on the card. Um, again, like you said, Simon, not household names. I wasn't too familiar with a lot of these guys uh, and girls as well, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, but I think in terms of kind of stories coming out, it was a few performances that kind of took you by surprise in terms of, you know, the, the, the fights were headed one way and then all of a sudden there's a comeback performance and, you know, Mike Rodriguez came back to defeat Mar uh, Marcin Precino. At the beginning of the card, Trevin Jones was on the verge of getting finished. And I thought the referee was going to step in on numerous occasions when he took on Timur Valiev. Somehow, some way, he just survived the first round. And then out of the blue, he finishes Timur Valiev in the second round via TKO. And I believe Trevin Jones took this fight on, I think, six days notice or something crazy like that. So that was a huge three days notice. Right, so even 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 crazier than six days. Um, Timo Valiev, man, I was highly expecting him to just steamroll Trevin Jones, and so that was surprising. Shayna Dobson defeats Maria Agapova, and I hope I'm not butchering this, but I believe from what I saw online, this was, um, as far as the odds makers go, the biggest upset since Holly Holm knocked out Ronda Rousey. So Shayna Dobson, I think, was, uh, I think, three and four, or, or, or I think three and four heading into this fight. So this was kind of like a layup fight uh, for, for Maria Agapova. And then Shayna Dobson, man, credit to her. She's got this main card slot on a UFC fight night card. And she kind of mentioned that on the post-fight interview that, hey, you know what? I knew I was the underdog. And then this fight and the kind of the media surrounding this fight that she got kind of brought the dog out of her. So... Uh, I, I love that. It's a, you know, it's a true underdog story in every sense of the word. Not just by the odds makers, but 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 by the attitude of the fighter and and for them to kind of overcome that mentally to go in and and shock the world, so to speak. So yeah, it, the card. I tell you this much though, finishes galore. 
finishes galore uh, for a fight card that only had nine fights on it. So it, it was a lot of fun, although perhaps there weren't those um, household names or, you know, you know, fighters that people are going to remember on a Monday or Tuesday. It, it, these are the kind of fighters that will come back to light again when their next fight and the UFC start to promote them. But the one thing that uh, was quite telling with how great these performances were, Dana White in the post-fight press conference said outside of the performance tonight bonuses, he's, he was going to be writing a lot of checks to a lot of the fighters that competed on this card, not just for, I guess, their performances and finishes, but I guess for the stepping up and stepping in and helping out uh, when a card once again got hit with some cancellations due to COVID. And and, and it wasn't just the, 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 the fights and the fighters and the card that got um, affected by COVID. According to UFC President Dana White, there were like several members of the, the broadcast and production team that got hit with COVID. Uh, so they had to kind of, I guess, a lot of folks behind the scenes had to wear multiple hats just to kind of get this uh, get this event and get this show uh, off the ground uh, and uh, get it in the book. So credit to everyone involved there. Yeah, it was one of those nights where... It was it was an opportunity for people to shine, wasn't it? You know, I mean, the, the, uh, the Shana Dobson win absolutely leaps off the page if i'd have said to you three names from this fight card that i was really looking forward to watching three names i was expecting big things from maria agapova was one of them daniel rodriguez was the other one and timo valiev is is the third one timo valiev i've been watching him i write for a russian outlet uh as, as as part of my as part of my job um i've been covering some of his stuff he is superb and I think legitimately was considered one of the best bantamweight fighters outside of the UFC or certainly outside of the major US organizations. And he finally got snapped up. You know, a lot of his teammates, um, he comes from the same training camp as Khabib Namagomedov. Um, and uh, there's a whole host of, of stars coming out of Dagestan. He's one of them. Um, and what he's, he's seen a lot of his teammates get called up and he was kind of being left behind, which is weird because his performances have been brilliant. So when I saw him finally get signed, I was I was really pleased for the guy. I'm like, right, now we're going to get to see him. He trains with Mark Henry, Frankie Edgar. You know, Frankie Edgar is one of his training partners. So he's he's got a great spot. So he trains with Khabib's team in Russia. And then he goes over to, to New York, trains with Frankie Edgar and, and Mark Henry. Um, he's got the perfect setup. And then he, he lost his he lost his he was he lost his opponent. He was going to face Mark Striegel, and I think he pulled out at the start of fight week or mid midway through fight week. Trevin Jones from Guam steps in, and that fight was it was pretty one sided, wasn't it? it? You know, with the way it started off, Valier was throwing strikes from all manner of different angles, and he, he you know he looked absolutely superb. He was connecting with some heavy shots, hurt Jones with that front kick to the to the solar plexus. And I thought that was it. Okay, he's done now. He folded him up like a deck chair. He sat down on the canvas. He's taken a load of shots. Credit to the ref. Um, I think it was Chris Tonioni, the ref. Um, didn't step in. He saw that Jones was actually, he was soaking stuff up, but he was also making sure that he wasn't taking clean shots. And he was trying to improve his position. He even got a takedown at the end of that first round. And I was like, okay, this guy's got something about him because he'd soaked up everything Valley ever had took him down at the end of the round um, and then just completely caught Valiev coming in with a huge right hand. Massive, massive upset. Valiev, despite that, is going to be a real problem at £135. I really do believe that. I think that loss will just serve 
to to fire him up. And we're going to see good things from him. I think he could be a contender a little bit further down the line. But wow, what a night for Trevor Jones. 50k bonus as well. Three days notice, octagon debut, whatever the minimum rate is. Is it 12 and 12 or 14 and 14 they get these days? Stick another 50k on top of that. Not bad for a week's work for five-star Trevin Jones. He should walk out to five-star. A bit of system addict would be good. I think, you know, walk out. Let's have a bit of 1980s pop music. Walk out to five-star. Um, but yeah, great win for him. One one quick thing um, before we kind of uh, wrap things up on this card and move on to um, other bits and pieces. Frank Yedger did make a little bit of history, Simon. He has, is now amongst a very elite group of fighters uh, in the UFC who have wins in three different weight classes. And so I think that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's incredible because if, like, think about the UFC has been around for, what, 26, 27 years or something like that. And they've got plenty of weight classes, especially on the, on the male side. Here's the list. There's been... I think 11 or 12 fighters total, and Frankie Edgar is now amongst that group. Anthony Pettis, Diego Sanchez, Lucas Martins, Paul Taylor, Conor McGregor, Kenny Florian, George Roop, Eric Koch, Jared Cannonier, Manvel Gamburian, Ildemar Alcantara, and Frankie Edgar. There's your lot. Those are the fighters who hold wins in three different weight classes. So an incredible bit of history, and a, you know another... Another nice notch on Frankie Edgar's fantastic Hall of Fame resume. Yeah, you mentioned him, Paul Taylor, relentless Paul Taylor. There's a Brit on the list. And I didn't know that he'd fought and won in three weight classes. I thought he might have done it in two. But he's done it in three. So that's pretty impressive. But yeah, no, Frankie Edgar, he's he's always been there or thereabouts. And, and the fact that he's probably at his best weight class right now for his size just makes the success he had at 155 pounds seem all the more remarkable, you know? I mean, it's incredible to think that he was the champion of the division that is now being ruled over by Khabib Nurmagomedov. If you stood those two next to each other, there is absolutely no way you would ever put them in a, in a, in a fight. Khabib is huge compared to him. So, um, amazing stuff. One more name I just wanted to chuck in before, before we move on from this. Jordan Wright. Now, Jordan Wright undefeated 10-0 prospect heading into this, came in on short notice. He fought in the contender series and didn't get a contract and was hoping to get another shot and then uh, got a last-minute call-up to face Ike Villanueva at £205. Now, this guy, Jordan Wright, competes at 185 stepped up to 205 got a first-round finish. It was a doctor stoppage due to cuts, but he was well on his way. The first thing he did on his octagon debut. What a way to make an impression. The very first strike he threw, spinning heel kick that dropped the man, right? Unbelievable stuff. Um, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's as down to earth as they come, Jordan Wright. Really enjoyed watching him fight. And I think he's going to be a problem at 185. I think they're going to move him back down to his natural weight class. And uh, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. He calls himself, was it the Beverly Hills Ninja is his nickname. And he trains with uh, Anthony Hardonk, who uh, is a former, a former uh, legend of the sport. So um, yeah, looking forward to seeing a bit more out of him in uh, in in the events to come. But yeah, fun night of fights. A lot of people who maybe aren't household names getting big big wins. Matthew Semmel's Burger Culture minus on the prelims was a great great fight. Really well matched uh, fight between two debutants as well. I enjoyed that one. So many fun fights. 
And we've got more to come with the UFC Fight Night coming this weekend. But before we move on to that, Sandu, we had a bit of breaking news last week. And that breaking news kind of was developing as we were recording and continued developing after we stopped. So at the time, we we announced that Dominic Reyes had agreed to face Jan Blachowicz for something. We didn't know what at the time. We, we were sort of wondering whether it was for an interim belt or whether it would be for the full belt and that it all really depended on what John Jones was going to do. Well, after we finished recording last week, John Jones vacated the UFC light heavyweight title. Uh, the first time he's done it voluntarily. He's done it a couple of times in the past, but it was kind of done for him. This time he did it himself and he's now moving up to heavyweight. I am so excited to see this, to see the most technically proficient fighter in the world going in there with the hardest hitters on the planet in the UFC heavyweight division. And what it also does is it puts a shot in the arm of the uh, the UFC 205-pound division because now it's all up for grabs. But just when you thought it was safe to get back into the water at 205 pounds, Anthony Rumble Johnson is on his way back to the UFC. He's coming back as well. So it's all kicking off at 205 in the UFC, Sandu, and Jones is moving up to heavyweight. So, I mean, I don't know which 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 direction you want to come at from this, but it's big news whichever way you look at it. Absolutely. Let's just start with John Jones. Um, vacating the title basically means that the 205 division can move on cleanly. You know, there's no interim title. Um, you know, regardless of what you think about the Reyes fight, I scored it for Reyes. I know a lot of uh, people scored that fight for Reyes. Like we saw this past weekend, it doesn't matter. The, the, the three most important people in the building scored it for John Jones, or at least two of them did, right? And so that's the most important result. And John Jones is probably thinking, well, where am I going to make the most money? Where am I going to make the most impact? Is it a rematch with Reyes? That definitely works for the UFC. They love making rematches. That definitely works for Reyes. He gets a chance to to try and defeat John Jones cleanly. What does it really do for John Jones though? You know, so for John Jones to go up and then you got mouth watering prospect fights, whether it's Stipe Miocic, Francis Ngannou, it's an opportunity to add to his legacy to become a two weight champion. And it's the opportunity to really proclaimed to be the baddest man on the planet because that's what the heavyweight title and the heavyweight championship historically means there you know you you know there is no other weight class above that that's that's top of the food chain when it comes to weight classes right and so and he's probably getting up there in age he's probably putting on a bit more weight and uh, you know it, you could also kind of come in, in at an angle and say look you know maybe he's kind of seen the um the the Thiago Santos performance maybe he's uh, reflected on the, the Dominic Reyes performance and said to himself you know what am I starting to get a little too slow for 205 or are, are my competitors starting to figure me out whereas if he can step up to heavyweight he can still keep that speed that technical ability he's never really showcased knockout power so he's not going to exactly overnight I think possess that especially at heavyweight but does he have the the strategic the strategic mindset, the mentality, the creativity, the technical ability to win fights at heavyweight, absolutely 100%. And that kind of helps add to the argument of him perhaps being the greatest of all time. This whole situation does remind me a little bit of when George St. Pierre beat Johnny Hendricks and then called time. Again, that was a controversial decision. A lot of people scored it for, for Hendricks. But then Hendricks ended up winning it in his next fight anyway, and, and everyone kind of just 
proclaimed to be the official champion and he was the 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 champion without his crown you know up until that moment and i guess that's how dominic reyes feels and that's a lot of how a lot of fans feel about dominic reyes they feel as though he beat john jones and as long as he can get the, the business done against jan blahovic then i think people will just accept that and allow him to to reign over a division for as long as it um you know can, can, as long as he can but what this does for the 205 division now is is great because everyone that initially had a loss against john jones hey they're open for business again because now you're going to have a new champion fresh matchups an opportunity once again to to fight for the title so i'm thinking your glover Teixeira's, your anthony smith's you've got your new stars like you know your yuri prokashkas and even guys like volkan ozdemir and again alexander rakic another new guy coming up on the scene who's fighting this weekend it's a good time to be a light heavyweight uh, in the UFC and like you mentioned you've got Anthony Rumble Johnson on his way back as well I mean think about it can think of the timing John Jones moves up to heavyweight and and Rumble Johnson basically says yeah I'm coming back no coincidence there I think he fancies his chances against a lot of the, uh, the 205ers minus John Jones so that was big news massive news last week now the only thing that kind of remains to be seen is when John Jones is going to fight I'd love to see the Francis Ngannou-Stipe Miocic rematch. I think Ngannou's been very patient. He's put a great win streak together. I think he's earned and deserves the opportunity to show everyone what he can do against Stipe the second time around when he's kind of learnt his lesson. He's reflected on the loss and can... Let's see if he can figure out a way to beat Stipe. And for Stipe, hey, you know what? He probably feels confident in his ability to beat Francis Ngannou because he's already done it once before. And it gives time you know, time to John Jones to actually put on the weight, put on the muscle the right way, take his time to develop his body into a true heavyweight. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him fight this year. Uh, perhaps he'll fight early or, or spring of 2021, depending on the outcome of the uh, the Miocic and Garnou winner. That's the fight and that's the, that's the route the UFC is going to take. The last thing I'll say on this, though, Simon, the UFC has to put John Jones, in my opinion, in a, in a world title fight. I think that's the move. I don't think you can risk the op- the, the possibility of him taking a loss against uh, a, a Derek Lewis or a Curtis Blades or somebody else because when you've got one of the greatest of all time, a champion in a former weight class, you've got to use that from a marketing promotional perspective. You've got to use that as a way to promote him going for the unthinkable, the unattainable, going for the baddest man on the planet title, going for the UFC heavyweight championship. If he was to fight another heavyweight and got brutally knocked out, you just lost it all. So there's a lot of money to be made right now with John Jones fighting for the undisputed UFC world heavyweight title. And there's, there's, there's no way if I'm the UFC, I'm going to try and risk that whatsoever. So if that means he has to wait a little bit longer to fight for the title, depending on whether they go with Stipe Miocic in Ghana 2, then so be it. Uh, but I'd be concerned and worried if the UFC put him in a, a random fight as a, as a, as a warm-up fight at heavyweight. Let me know if you agree or disagree with that, but that's my take on it. It makes sense. I think I actually think Jones won't want to jump in there at heavyweight anytime soon. I think he'll want to build his body up. I think as a light heavyweight, you know, I think he's got some pounds to pack onto that frame, you know, especially the legs. You know, he's got those famously skinny legs. I'm sure he'll be... He'll be uh, he'll be doing a lot of deadlifting and uh, you know just building up those legs and, and and getting himself getting himself ready to compete at heavyweight. 
what you say makes total sense. He should fight for the belt. I think that's where the marketing money, that's that's where the pay-per-view money, that's where it sits. If Stipe Miocic beats Francis Ngannou, John Jones is going to have to wait a while, I, I, I would imagine. So I think the UFC are probably hoping, if I could say this, that Francis Ngannou beats Stipe Miocic because then you've got a new champion. You've got a new champion who is already... Uh, had a little bit of needle on social media with John Jones. They've had a bit of back and forth. They've talked about it already. The groundwork has already been laid for that fight. And Garni deserves his shot first. It would be scandalous for him to not get the next fight. So I would imagine they'll book Stipe and uh, Francis Ngannou next. Probably maybe early 2021. I can't imagine Miocic is going to fight again this year. Um, he had a, a pretty punishing uh, five-round fight against Daniel Cormier. I would imagine he's going to have the rest of the year off. If not, maybe he'll fight towards the back end of December, maybe the end of year card. So that could be possible. But that gives John Jones... It probably gives him six months or so to get himself ready to then take on the winner of that fight, really build it up, get an embedded crew with him, basically for the duration, and just follow the guy as he's building things up. Follow the John Jones story as he transforms from the baddest man on the planet at 205 to take on the baddest man on the planet at 265. So um, I think that's a story that you can slow play a little bit because there's business to be taken care of at heavyweight that really needs to be dealt with, with the the Francis Ngannou getting that second title shot. So um, I think it all kind of works out quite nicely. So uh, we'll see how that all pans out. As for 205... I think this is great news for 205. I mean, I think uh, in much in much the same way when GSP left the welterweight division, everything was up for grabs, and all of a sudden fights that people maybe weren't that weren't that high on, all of a sudden those fights mean something because you're one step closer to the belt. Um, and I think at 205, Dom Reyes versus Jan Jan Blahovic is is the fight to make. Don't rule out big Jan Blahovic, by the way. When I back in a previous life, when I wrote about sports betting many, many years ago, um, a, a, a journalist who wrote for the magazine that I, I used to write for did a feature on a phenomenon called the nappy factor, and he pulled out loads of examples of incidents where an athlete becomes a father and then whether it's endorphins, whether it's just a feeling of euphoria, well-being, or just relaxation, whatever it is, they, in so many cases, there was a situation where they became a father and then their, their sporting performance went up a notch, whether it was golfers, whether it was soccer players, whether it was professional fighters. He listed all these different instances where it happened. Jan Blachowicz has just announced that he's, uh, he's, 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 his other half is pregnant. Uh, he announced it today on social media. So first off, congratulations to Jan and Mrs. Jan. Um, but um, yeah, so the fact that he's now got that sort of building euphoria, the fact that he's got a little baby on the way, he's got something else to fight for other than just himself. Um, it does things to people. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it changes your outlook once you become a father or you know you're going to become a father. There's a little switch in your head that goes, and anyone listening to this who's become a parent will be, will, will be able to relate to this. Something changes. There's some, it's like a little 
it's like a little hidden level in your head and all of a sudden boom and it, it just motivates you in a different way so look out for that when Jan Blachowicz takes on Dominic Reyes that's going to be really interesting when they fight for that 205 pound belt and a name to not sleep on before we move on at 205 pounds he's currently ranked at number 14 he's due to fight soon Magomed Ankalaev I think he's due to fight this weekend actually um, he at the moment is flying quite significantly under the radar within 6 to 12 months he's going to be a top 5 UFC 205 pounder so yeah 205 pounder absolutely no doubt about it the only guy to beat him in the UFC is Paul Craig with that last second submission in London um, but he's he's the real deal he's the real deal he's going to be up there with your Yuri Prohaskas, your Anthony Smith, your Glover Teixeira, your Jan Blachowicz, your Thiago Santos, all those guys. He's going to be right in the mix with those guys. Uh, he's taken on uh, Ion Kutalaba, I think, uh, this weekend, I think, at UFC Fight Night. I have to double-check that. But yes, he is. That And that's a grudge match, because that's a rematch of a fight that was ruled a no contest first time round. But uh, the UFC 205-pound division is doing great guns. Before we move on to this weekend's fight, Sandu... Bit of a debating point happened over the course of the weekend. We had Bellator on Friday night, uh, and they crowned a new 205-pound champion. Vadim Nemkov stepped in and did a number on Ryan Bader. It was absolutely brilliant performance from Nemkov, who is perfect in the Bellator cage. He's gone, I think, 4-0 or 5-0 now inside the Bellator cage. Bader was also unbeaten as a Bellator fighter until he ran into Nemkov. And uh, Nemkov is a protege of Fedor Emelianenko. Bader had finished Fedor in 35 seconds to win the Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix. Nemkov has avenged his mentor. He's taken the belt back to Russia. There's a great social media clip of him being given a hero's reception on Instagram. Um, So look out for that. Um, But the thing that came out of this whole weekend, Scott Coker said it beforehand, and he doubled down on it in the post-fight press conference. He now believes that with Jon Jones moving up to heavyweight, Bellator now has the better 205 pound weight class. What do you reckon? No. <laughs> In short. Um, listen, that's the end of that Scott's one then. Doing. Yeah. Like, I get what Scott's doing. And I do the same thing. If I was the, the promotional figurehead of Bellator, that's exactly what I'd be saying as well. I'd be huffing and puffing and you know, puffing my chest out, beating my chest on not just the light heavyweight division, but on every weight class you know that's the whole point you know you're, you're gonna obviously say everything that you guys uh, do and you know whether it's your fighters your events your shows is better and, and, and in some aspects they've got a point you know when you when, when, when it comes to things like and again it, de- it depends what your taste is i like the the bellator stage and production uh, and allowing their fighters to i guess express themselves a, l- a little bit more with their walkouts and all the rest of it right um but going to this specific debate about which weight class is better no it's still it's still the ufc the ufc still has the vast majority of the best fighters in the world in every single weight class now we can have an interesting conversation and debate with regards to champion versus champion and who we'd pick uh you know up going up and down uh every single weight class but specifically to this 205 versus 205 division no it's still 100% the UFC uh, light heavyweight division that I'd pick over Bellator's light heavyweight division. Is, there, there it is. <laughs> is. Is the correct answer. Is the correct answer. I mean, yeah, yeah Scott, Scott Coe, I, I think what they have in, in uh, Vadim Nemkov is a guy who could certainly mix it 
with the top five in the UFC's 205 pound class. But I think the UFC have got the economies of scale. They've got that deeper roster. You just look down that, that list. I remember it wasn't all that long ago. People used to say the 205 division in the UFC was a bit boring. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't anyone coming up. It was all a bit static. It's a load of old guys who can't beat John Jones. Look at the division now. There's, there's a whole lot going on in that division. So, uh, I'm I'm excited for what's going to happen at 205 in the next in the next 12 months or so. There's going to be a lot of movement in the rankings. I don't necessarily think we're going to have an all-conquering champion. We might see the belt change hands a few times. There's a lot of well-matched, talented, hard-nosed fighters at 205 pounds, and two of them are going head to head on Saturday night at UFC Vegas 8. We go back to the UFC Apex in Las Vegas as Anthony Lionheart-Smith takes on Alexander Rakic, who uh, has really looked superb. They're both coming off, they're both coming off uh, defeats, but Alexander Rakic has looked superb. Anthony Smith was on a great run until he lost to John Jones, and he got beaten up by Glover Teixeira in a, in a fight that turned out to be quite hard to watch by the end of it. But on his day, Smith can be a problem for anybody at 205. It's a cracking matchup. Um, which way are you leaning, Sandu? I think stylistically, it's really interesting because Smith, I think, probably has a little bit more on the ground. But I think Rakic holds a clear edge in the striking. I think he's a lot crisper and a lot cleaner. And I think he'll be the more powerful man in the stand-up. So it's going to be all about, as it always is in MMA, who controls where the fight goes. Who controls the range? Can Smith get in, get the fight to the floor if he can? I think the fight's his. If it stays standing, I think Rakic has all the tools in his arsenal to uh, to score himself a stoppage win. It's a it's, it's it's a it's a good piece of matchmaking and a really good fight. Absolutely, I'm leaning towards uh, Rakic. If I'm being honest, like in the UFC, he's got one loss, and it was a split decision to Volkan Ozdemir. You have to go back to his very first fight uh, where he lost. Uh, at, to, to, a, to a chap named Christian Radke uh, on a regional promotion back in Germany, and it was by a submission. And, and, and since then, he'd won, well, he's, he's won all of his fights up until that split decision loss to Volkan. I feel like he's yeah the, the crisper, cleaner, more powerful boxer and striker in general. And given Anthony Smith's mileage, just given how many fights he's got under his belt and the fact that he's fighting so soon after that drubbing that Glover Teixeira gave him just back in May man it's, 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 it's a tough one for me to pick Anthony Smith so I just can't do it so yeah I'm definitely going to be picking Rakic uh, in this one uh, and like we said this is great because if Rakic can get this win over Anthony Smith in a main event of a fight night card he, he can't say you know that he couldn't have beaten John Jones or he could beat John Jones because that, that fight never happened so he's going he's gonna to be one of these emerging fighters in that 205 weight class that's coming up in a post-John Jones era where there is no history with John Jones. You know, the, 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 I guess like anybody else that, you know, win, wins the title apart from, say, Jan Blahovic, Reyes, Teixeira, uh, uh, Anthony Smith, Thiago Santos, there'll be the asterisks there, won't there, next to their names. Well, the other champion, but you lost to John Jones, right? Jan Blahovic never had a chance to fight John Jones. And then you've got guys like Rakic coming up on the scene 
in a big way who never got a chance to fight John Jones. So big moment for him, big fight, and I'm definitely going to be favoring him. He's also the younger guy out of the two. I can't believe how many fights Anthony Smith has had at the age of 32. Um, and, you know, unfortunately for him, on the receiving end of a lot of losses uh, in, in some brutal fashion in a lot of those fights as well. Yeah, 48 career fights for Anthony Smith. Incredible stuff. Rakic, uh, just the 14. So uh, big experience difference there. But, you know, how much tread is left on the tyres and that fight against, I keep going back to it, that fight against Glover Teixeira, that's a fight that takes takes years off your career. So um, be interesting to see just what kind of what kind of shape Anthony Smith is in and how much of Alexander Rakic's striking he's able to absorb in uh, in that main event. So only a three-round fight, by the way. Um, it was, uh, was going to be the co-main. We've had a change of bout order quite late on. Uh, lost the main event so Anthony Smith and Alexander Rackage have been promoted to the main event but it's still three rounds so um, the uh, could be an early night for a few of us hopefully uh, by the end of it co-main event a couple of evergreen welterweights who seem to have been around forever Robbie Lawler former champion still going um, remarkably has fewer fights than Anthony Smith which is insane to think of um, he's taken on Neil Magny and Neil Magny is in pretty good form right now. I think he's won four of his last five. He's on a two-fight win streak. And uh, he's taken on Robbie Lawler, whose form has been a little bit iffy of late. Um, are we going to see the old Robbie Lawler against Neil Magny? Or have we seen the last of the old Robbie Lawler? What do you reckon, Sandu? Is this, is this an opportunity for Magny to sort of make that leap, get a big name on his, on his resume and propel himself towards a potential shot at 170 i think so this is a this is a tough one um this is a very important fight for robbie lawler it's a it's this is a fight which tells us if he's still got it anymore you know what i mean he's coming off three back-to-back losses the only one that you could put an asterisk next to is that ben Askren, uh, ben Askren loss just because of the way that fight ended where robbie wasn't out and herb dean kind of just stepped in and, and waved it off far too soon but outside of that, he lost very one-sided uh, fight to Colby Covington. He lost a very one-sided fight to Rafael dos Anjos. Um, there was no controversy in those decisions whatsoever. Um, and then, obviously, you know, we know a few years ago he lost his championship to Tyron Woodley via knockout. The only win in his last five is a decision against Donald Cerrone. And then you've got someone like Neil Magny, who's I think five years his junior, so pretty much in his prime right now at 33 years of age. And yeah, like you said, he's on some form. This year has been good to him. He won in March. He won in June. And here he is, an opportunity to get that big name. He he has a win over a couple of big names, actually, if you look at his uh, resume. He's got a win over Carlos Condit, former interim champion. He's got a win over Johnny Hendricks, former welterweight champion. He's got a win over Kelvin Gastelum, right, who, you know, fair, fair, you know, fair, fair play to him, you know, obviously not the most, you know, best form of his life at the moment uh, but back then Kelvin Gastelum was up and coming and was coming in on form against uh, uh, Neil Magny in that one as well so he's he knows what it takes to get a win is what I'm trying to say over named fighters marquee fighters championship caliber fighters and that's what he's up against he's up against someone who knows what it takes to win he knows what it's like to be up uh, against the best in the world and so Neil Magny will have to be on absolute top form and bring his A-game to get a win over Robbie Lawler. I'm going to pick Neil Magny here, 
Um, I think Lawler at 38, I don't know how much more he's got left. And it, I'd be pleasantly surprised if he if he was to win because he is one of the all-time legends of the sport. He's a fighter's fighter. He's a hardcore fight fan's favourite fighter. He's been involved in arguably the greatest fight of all time, his war against Rory McDonald. And how can you not get excited for ruthless Robbie Lawler to fight? So I'm absolutely buzzing for this one. Yeah, I've, I've uh, on, on the MMA Jackie Staff picks, I've gone with Robbie Lawler. I think it's a slightly sentimental pick, I'll be honest, but there's, I think, common sense suggests that Neil Magny might be the smarter pick, but I've gone with Robbie Lawler. And I think, as I say, there's... There's a little bit of sentimentality in that pick. If he comes in anywhere near his best, then uh, I think he's got what it takes to beat Neil Magny. But Neil Magny is one of those guys who he's not going to go very very easily or very quietly. I think he's going to be a real problem for the full 15 minutes. That's what he does. You know, he's, he's very dangerous. His wrestling is superb. His top game is excellent. His, his ability to control you on the mat. Is uh, is one of his his hallmarks really? Uh, if Lawler keeps it standing, Lawler has the power to do some damage, and I think that could be quite interesting. Good co-main event matchup. Also on the card, Ji Yun Kim versus Alexa Grasso at flyweight. But the fight I wanted to talk to you about, Ricardo Lamas was due to face Ryan Hall. Now Ryan Hall uh, is the man that no one wants to fight. No one has ever wanted to fight Ryan Hall because. He's an absolute nightmare. He's a, he's, a, he's a heel hook specialist and he's damn good at it. And um, he won the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, I remember I remember being in Vegas when he did that. He was really lovely guy. Very frustrated, I think, that he couldn't get himself a decent opponent in the UFC. He's been on the shelf for what feels like ages, just waiting for his chance. Ricardo Lamas stepped up and said, I'll fight him. Boom. Got himself a fight. Excellent. Ryan Hall's coming back. And he's got a fight that if he wins, all of a sudden, someone's going to have to fight him at 145 pounds. Now he's out of the fight. Ricardo Lamas was left without an opponent. But it's bad news, good news, because they're bringing in one of the most exciting fighters not previously signed to the UFC in Bill Algio. Senior perfecto. Um, got beat by Brendan Lochnane on the Contender Series. If you remember Brendan Lochnane's performance on the Contender Series against Algio, that was a hell of a fight. Uh, Brendan won that deservedly, uh, but Algio is is still an excellent excellent prospect at 45. He fought for Cage Fury Fighting Championships just a week ago, I think, or two weeks ago. I remember watching that. Got himself a really good good solid decision win, uh, and actually called out Jika Jakadze, who's on this fight card. Um, turned out he's not fighting Jika Jakadze. He's fighting well up the order now, and he's facing Ricardo Lamas. Um, really interesting fight. Um, I don't know if you've seen Bill Algio fight beyond that that uh, Brendan Lockname fight, but he's going to give Ricardo Lamas a few problems, Sandu. Mark my words. Yeah, I mean, I believe it because, you know, he was very competitive against Brendan Lockname and Lamas needs a win as well. He's coming off a loss against Calvin Cater and his overall form, you know, hasn't been too great. He's lost three of his last four, the one win coming over uh, uh, Darren Elkins. I was actually in Winnipeg when Josh Emmett delivered that brutal KO to, to Lamas. I remember Josh Emmett, I believe, uh, stepped in uh, on short notice, um, missed weight, you know, couldn't, couldn't make it all the way down to 145 and uh, or 146 pounds. 
and Lama still accepted the fight in a main event slot and man that that was that was devastating for him because he was you know trying to build some momentum at that stage the only the, you know the only thing this actually kind of um not not reminds me of but the only thing that kind of comes to mind when you just kind of discuss this fight Simon is I feel for Brendan Lochnain right now here he is had a win over Bill Algio on the contender series didn't get signed by the UFC right ends up in the PFL he had two exhibition fights for the PFL last year, won both those fights. We know that the UK market is an important market for the UFC. And and here we are, what, a year, 18 months later, whatever it is, and Bill Algio is now signed to the UFC and Brendan Lochnane's in a bit of PFL limbo because they don't have a season in 2020 and they're not going to have any events, it doesn't look like it, until 2021, right? And so it's just, it's so unfortunate because here you have someone in Brendan Lochnane who's in shape, raring to go. If you follow him on social media, you know that he just spent the last couple of months in Thailand. Uh, I, think, I think he pretty much spent the entire COVID era thus far in Thailand before going back to to the UK. So he's been he's been in shape for a while now. And wouldn't it be great if the UFC could figure out a way to kind of get him off PFL's hands? And try and get him into the mix because he's yet another featherweight that always brings it. And uh, yeah, obviously we're going to be a little bit biased because we are the Brit Pat. We just want to see more more Brits involved in the UFC. So that's 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 what it kind of reminds me is like, damn it, Brendan Lochnane beat this guy, couldn't get into the UFC, and now Bilal Joe's in the UFC proper. It's what a, what a funny world we live in sometimes. It, it is. It really is a sliding doors moment, and it? it's, it's it's one of those. But. Um... Yeah, pleased for Bill Algio. I like I like when you see talented prospects getting their shot, and in this COVID era of uh, the UFC, a lot of them are getting their shot. Guys that maybe would have gone into the contender series are being drafted straight on straight onto the big show to fill these short notice spots, and uh, a lot of them are delivering the goods. I mean, it's been it's been really good to see. Look out for Bill Algio on Saturday night. I've picked Ricardo Lamas, nonetheless. Having <laughs> said all that, I think uh, I think Lamas. Has uh, is just that slight cut above, but make no mistake, Algio could could well go in there and spring something of a surprise. So uh, yeah, if you're a bit of a if you're a bit of a uh, a sports better and you want a, a value bet, Algio might just be your man. You might get you might get a bit of bang for your buck uh, in that in that featherweight bout. The aforementioned Magomed Ankalaev is taking on Iron Kutalaba. Uh, that will that is full of bad blood. The like the face off alone will be worth watching for that. Uh, and then we got a couple of um, a couple of contender series graduates, Maki Patolo, who's uh, staying pretty active. He, he fought only a week or two ago. Um, he's back in there against Impa Kasanganai, who earned a contract just a week ago on the contender series. He's gone straight in, no messing about uh, for his debut at one hundred eighty five pounds. Um, Anything else on that fight card that sort of leaps out to you, Sandu? Uh, not really, Simon. I think we've covered it all. Um, I'm really interested in the, the Robbie Orloff fight, if I'm being honest with you. That and the main event are the ones that I, I, I'm really keen on because, like I said, this is this is gonna we're going to find out if Robbie Orloff can still hang in, in the UFC at the very top level and if he still wants to fight. Is he going to be one of those fighters that takes another loss and then all of a sudden he's let go by the UFC and then gets signed by Bellator or another promotion? We've seen that happen time and time again, right? Um, but yeah, we've spoken about this before, Simon. These 
COVID era fight night cards are very top heavy when it comes to household names and, and marquee names and name value. And then after that, we're literally looking at a bunch of prospects. Let's see how this week turns out. What we've seen so far is sometimes fighters are missing weight. Sometimes they're getting COVID. Sometimes we're getting last minute replacements a day or two or three days out. Um, so what we have on paper at the beginning of fight week may not necessarily be what we end up with on fight night and all credit to the UFC, the matchmakers and fighters, managers, agents are all in the mix, staying in communication. The fighters are trying to stay in shape and be as close to fight weight as possible in case they get that call. Um, and we just saw uh, last week Dana White's Tuesday night contender series. How many fighters are getting signed up left, right and center from that show um, because the UFC needs fighters especially when there's still travel restrictions from certain parts of the world uh, to get into the U.S. right now. Um, so, yeah, this is it's almost like week in, week out now, where there's definitely a major story at the top of the card when it comes to the main and maybe co-main. And then after that, it's just show us what you got, guys and girls. You know, it's the rest of the card is like do something, make a memorable moment, whether it's a fight finish, whether it's a fight finish combined with a, a spectacular, memorable post-fight interview that will go viral. Try and do something that'll help you uh, stick out from the crowd uh, while you've got this opportunity. So that's the way I'm kind of viewing all these cards at the moment. Yeah, no, it, that's that's pretty much it. One more fight I just want to throw in there. Third fight on the card uh, on the prelims. Alex Caceres, Bruce Leroy against Jika Jikadze. Uh Mentioned Jikadze earlier. Really, really polished striker. Fun to watch uh, against Alex Caceres. I think that's a sleeper for fighting the night. Keep an eye out for that one. Third fight of the night, that is... Um, on the prelims, Alex Caceres versus Jika Chikadze at featherweight. That wraps up uh, the Brit Pack again for this week. We've got it's a busy weekend again. You got you got UFC on Saturday night. We've got there is a one championship show on Friday, but the way they're doing them at the moment, there aren't many MMA fights on the card. Um, although um, we do have uh, where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Stamp Fairtex is in action. So if you're a fan of Stamp Fairtex, who's one of the big star female stars in my championship, she's gonna uh, she's gonna fight for the Muay Thai strawweight title um on uh, on Friday. Not too much else on the card of any massive note, but Stamp usually does the business, so she'll be worth watching as an LFA card on UFC Fight Pass. So obviously we've got contender series on Tuesday night. We are recording this on Mondays now, so uh, you might catch this before before the contender series, but it really is all about UFC Fight Night on Saturday night. UFC Vegas 8 is the hashtag. And uh, yes, you'll be able to catch all that live on UFC Fight Pass and BT Sport in UK. Live on ESPN Plus if you are stateside. Sandy, I think that's pretty much everything this week, isn't it? That covers us up. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at the Pack MMA. I am at Sandu MMA across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Sand, uh, Simon is at Simon Head Sport on Instagram and at Simon Head on Twitter. And where we want everyone to go to though is thebritpack.substack.com. Uh, if you go to that website, you can find the links on both of our social handles. That's where you can subscribe to our Substack and also then find uh, wherever you like to listen to your shows. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, drop us a rating, drop us a review, like we said all the time in previous weeks. It helps us immensely, and we really appreciate everyone that takes 30 seconds out of their time to drop us a rating and review. And then, of course, if you're on Spotify or any other 
podcast platform whether it's a like a thumbs up a comment a review feedback let us know and and, and you know what get involved in the substack um if you if you go to the brickpack.substack.com uh there is an opportunity there for, for to have open dialogue with us so if you want to give us any feedback for the show if there's anything you want us to cover or uh, if there's any kind of uh, new elements to the show that you'd like us to bake in or integrate give us a shout let us know and we'd be more than happy to to take that into consideration awesome stuff awesome stuff i think sandu that might have been our 20th show since we uh hey. since since we relaunched burst out the party poppers crack open the prosecco now nah, i'm more of a lager man myself but no it's uh 20 shows and uh it's going great thoroughly enjoying it the fights are coming thick and fast which keeps us on our toes keeps us busy but thank you to you guys out there for listening that's why we do it uh it's good to have a chat to sandu every week but it's a hell of a lot better knowing that you guys are out there listening as well so thank you for downloading subscribing listening and uh, being a part of the brit pack hopefully we can make this thing bigger and better as we go along 20 shows in here's to the next 20 but until then enjoy the fights on saturday night and we will speak to you again early next week